Hello, I'm your host, Alan Cowley, and I'd like to welcome you to another compelling Invest Investor podcast. I'm thrilled to have Joel Solomon with me this week. Joel's accomplishments include co-authoring The Clean Money Revolution. He's a founding partner of Renewal Funds, Canada's largest mission venture capital firm. Alongside this, he is a leading strategist for social and cultural change in British Columbia, Canada, as well as having a host of other ventures, such as university governor and a TEDx Vancouver speaker. But today, Joel, will concentrate on your career within the startup ecosystem. Uh, so firstly, I'd just love to hear why you decided to become an investor. Thanks for having me, Alan. I really appreciate it. I became an investor through the following. My father was the son of an immigrant, classic story to uh, United States and other countries and uh, leaving somewhere for difficult conditions and going for new opportunities. And my mother, likewise, uh, a, a generation earlier, her folks uh, had been come, come to the U.S. Uh, that before him. And... Uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee, a small town in the South, and the 50s and 60s. So there were a lot of things to ask questions about in the 60s. There was a bit of societal uh, unrest, and young people were questioning Vietnam War and capitalism and all kinds of other things. And so I was uh, influenced by a lot of that. And my family became successful. My father became successful in the shopping mall business. I was uh, not a huge fan of shopping malls as <laughs> a life plan for me. And uh, in any case, I ended up, uh, I, I first went into politics and I got a job working with Jimmy Carter before he was publicly announced uh, to run for president. And that was a great experience and another entrepreneurial endeavor, right? You, you set out, you, you're, you're, you're unknown in the country and you decide you want to be president. That takes uh, quite a strategy and financing and back, you know, all of that. Um, and then from there, I had a diagnosis of a genetic kidney disease from my father's line. He actually did die from polycystic kidney disease. Um, I'm going to say now that 12 years ago, my friend gave me her kidney because I forget that part of the story. It ended happily um, and, and went well, but it did cause me uh, to think about what really mattered. Doctors had said, you can, live, you can live long, you could die soon, and you can't really do anything about it. That was uh, kind of a battle cry. Uh, well, okay, how much time do I have? What do I want to think about from my deathbed? What matters? And gradually, through a long series of stories, you can read about it in the book, uh, I came to, I have to go back in to capitalism and the power of money and business and finance is immense and we need to apply values to it that, that we each care about. And so that led to getting involved with early organizations of entrepreneurs, I'd say do-good entrepreneurs that were experimenting with all kinds of things to make their company be more responsible citizen, look at their products and services. And I got swept up in that uh, exciting part of entrepreneurship. And I began making investments in uh, organic food, which followed my personal health quest. Yeah. And then over time, uh, we settled in. So we still do organic food, non-toxic households, but climate 
is increasingly the 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 most compelling. All these things touch on climate, but uh, so environmental technologies has become a really exciting area that we're enjoying. So there's a there's a bit of an intro. Uh, today we we will probably complete our current fund with several hundred investors from around the world, uh, who all of whom are in waking up to the ideas that business can be part of the solution and an important part of it. And so our job is to make them above market rate of return, prove that these new sectors matter, and uh, find great entrepreneurs and support them in their journey. So you t- you touched on um, environmental technologies. Um, it, it, does that come under the, the bracket of social venture? Is that is that an overriding terminology for it? Or I would say that, so first of all, all these terms are ultimately vague and they're new and, and people are using them in all kinds of different ways. So what I, I think where I came from was, or how I think about it is that social ventures Generally, I'm looking at not-for-profits that are doing subsidiary for-profits. So that's a Canadian and maybe American version of it. People are using the term very broadly also. So we, of course, do look at the social, at social issues and how employees are treated, supply chains. Uh, we want to understand as much as we can about the actual side effects of creating products and of uh, building a rapid growth company. And we want to balance that with uh, being good, good employers and, and good citizens. And so we can't just look at the environmental alone. We use various uh, rating services and standards, B Corporation being a, a really important one for us from early on. And uh, we use B Corp type questions, if people know what a B Corp is. But uh, they give you a long list of questions if you want to get certified as a better impact uh, company. And we do the same with our portfolio companies and in due diligence. We want to know as much as we can about how the entrepreneur and the team think about the larger world around them while figuring out a product that's going to succeed. Okay. Okay. That's really interesting. So can you give us some examples of some of the, the businesses on your portfolio at the moment? Absolutely. And I will start with renewalfunds.com has the whole portfolio. If yeah. us, We'll put that in this podcast notes as well. Yeah. Um, so now the portfolio is 20, 21 companies, uh, six exits, one collapse, and the others in various states of big success, struggle, all, the, all, all of the above. And a few, a few that I'll speak about, uh, I'm going to focus on the environmental technology unless you want me to. No, no, that's fine. Well, what, what I, I do want to say this about food. Um, organic food is growing astronomically and it's still small in the bigger scheme of things. So there are many, many opportunities there. There is an aspect of innovation that becomes a little thinner if you're talking about consumer products, which is where we focus. We do some food tech, but we've been mostly in consumer. And there gets to be a point where the market is flooded with power bars and even uh, (laughs) meat alternatives and plant-based and and all these things. And there's only so far you you can actually go. So this has... 
it, when we started, we're flooded with those opportunities and it's more competitive, now, et cetera. So the environmental tech, because it's so directly a climate factor, is, has a, a much bigger world of uh, invention and creativity. So I'll start with a food tech uh, company. The last investment in our previous fund is called uh, Food Logic. And Food Logic is a traceability product that when there's an incident in a, in a chain restaurant or really anywhere in the food chain, supply chain, E. coli or other, other things that come up, they will, but already, and this will increasingly become common, that you'll know which farm the offending product came from, um, and et cetera. So you'll know everything about it. Also, ultimately, a consumer will be walking through a grocery store and swiping our phone and getting the provenance of the food. Where did it come from? Who grew it? What do they like? Let's hear stories from them. And so there's a lot of advances now to come in awareness and information that can personalize, but also professionalize a lot of things, a lot of systems that were hard to track in the past. They work with blockchain, looking at how that will go further, deeper. And uh, one of the largest food companies in the world came in after us in that investment, which is, of course, always a promising signal. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> and uh, there, that, so that's, that's a story about that company. Um, in Green Building, we've been in a very successful business from one of our earliest uh, funds that is fiberglass windows and doors. Now, that's not very sexy. And the reality of insulating materials for buildings and their effectiveness in blocking leaks of heat, for example, Fiberglass is the material that uh, leaves all the others in the dust. And it, and it probably will cost a bit more until it becomes mass market. But in cities like Vancouver, which has been a very aggressive leader in climate action, building codes are moving towards passive buildings. We're getting a lot of high-rise uh, uh, that are getting passive uh, buildings certified. And so the, the invention and the the ingenuity of how to make buildings. Buildings are complicated because the landlord wants less cost. The tenant who cares about uh, recycling or energy efficiency and things like that wants a lot more services, doesn't really want to pay for it. And you have different owners and different interests that end up leaving us with a really wasteful built environment in terms of energy and all kinds of other factors. So there's, there's, a, there's a world just in that which is evolving and has many tracking and new ways of handling wastewater and roofs and heat and all this kind of thing. So fiberglass windows and doors has been a profitable company from the moment we got into them. We had an opportunity. They don't want very many investors. They wanted someone that was aligned with their values. They seeked us out. And because of that, we think. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and uh, we felt the same. And so we were a very good match, and they're local here. So that uh, is always easier for us to be 
be doing locally. Um, fiberglass reduces heat loss dramatically, and including in high rises. And that will mean that the glass tower that is an entire wall of glass will change over time yeah. because there's a lot of leakage going on there. Uh, so there's two. I'm happy to mention more if you'd like to hear them. Uh, well, actually, you, you touched on um, that the company was local to you. Are all your investments within the Vancouver, British Columbia area? No, we're Canada and the U.S. Canada and the U.S., okay. And we started out nobly, one airplane flight, west coast uh, of North America, and then across Canada was our strategy. Yeah. But it, we failed at that. We <laughs> companies all over the place, and we just have to deal with it. Yeah, yeah, no, that's absolutely fine. Um, so, obviously, a key characteristics or key characteristic of the entrepreneurs that you're investing in are people that care about the environment. What other key characteristics do you look for in your entrepreneurs? So, my simple statement is: we want products that matter and entrepreneurs who actually care. Because if you're doing this just as an exercise, and this is one of the key features, do these people really believe what they're, or if they just found a, the latest angle to try to sell? And so therefore the choices that they make through the whole life cycle will be very different than when with, with the fanatics. We're fanatics. I met that word positively. <laughs> Those who are passion, passionately care about issues and are using the financial system to, uh, as part of the way to address them. So we want people that live and breathe and teams who are doing this because they care. Yeah. Uh, that's an important factor. Um, after that, there, there's a, okay, you could say there's a dating game in this. I mean, what, uh, what are your values? What do you like personalities? And does it, is it a fit? Do you, are you comfortable with us and how we think? Are we comfortable with you? Um, after that, it gets fairly typical. Uh, do you know what you're doing? Do you know how to adapt? Do you understand your field? Uh, how well are you able to connect and find expertise when you need it? How effective are you raising money? Because we won't be your only funder probably. And then we move into maybe a not totally unique, but a, a less attended to area, which is who are you as a human being? What are your personal skills, your human skills? Can you handle conflict? Uh, can you manage well? Are you a good leader? Uh, what do you do when you're facing personal crisis? How do you handle, you know, people have lives happen. Uh, marriages, divorces, health, all kinds of things happen. So we're looking at a long-term relationship. We may be involved, we'll be involved probably at least five years and possibly our, legally or technically our documents allow us to go to 14 years. Yeah. And then in the venture business, I mean, at 14 years, it's not like you just magically it all completes. <laughs> and so you have to then, sometimes you're in a long, long time, uh, but your average is going to be five to seven years. Or at least that's where we're, we're focused. But these are long relationships. So there will be many issues and there'll be, there'll be pressures. There's, there's challenge, stress, and there's success stress. 
it doesn't all just get happy and and uh, smooth <clears throat> because you're financially successful. It raises all kinds of new issues, new markets, expansion of staff, new investors. Uh, so, I, I the only thing, I mean, it is it is somewhat like choosing a life partner. These don't go on forever, but life partnerships may not either. These are intended to end in that period of time through some form of exit. So at least you go in on the same page there. But deciding together that it's time for that becomes, uh, you know, really, really important. And we want to do the best we can on the front end to think about who we're getting in business with. How are they relating to us? What are they concerned? We want to try to get on the table. People are, a lot of uh, entrepreneurs have, I mean, venture capital has a bad reputation in in this regard. So we think we stand a lot on our reputation for being decent people and treating entrepreneurs well. Um, But, you know, that's always give and take and push and pull and every, every, each of us want more from the other. Yeah. Uh, so we want people who also want more from themselves and we do from ourselves. And so we try to balance that the best we can. Yeah. Um, you, you, you've touched, or you didn't touch, you, you speak a lot about um, the entrepreneur um, caring about the issue and the problem. How, can you just give us some advice to some potential investors? How, how do you spot that? How do you know that they're not just, um, you know, making it up or, or right well i think you're talking about human human skills and uh, judgment experience and that you are someone uh, i would say as an investor we know that we have to understand a lot of dimensions about who the people are that we're going into business with. Uh, You can compare this to dating and marriage. Uh, It's not a bad analogy, but these are partners and we are not interested in being the king who tells our partner, do this now, jump that high. Uh, We want to be partners and if you're going to be a partner, you want to ask the kinds of questions that might reveal what someone is like under pressure. And because that's where the trouble starts. We've run out of money or I've lost my key staff person or these kinds of things. Do they ask for help or are they the strong, silent uh, sufferer? And all of these patterns about about under, understanding of what motivates people and how they become how we become who we are, uh, I would say, as an investor, the better instincts you have about that, the more likely you will find someone who's authentic and adaptive and r- realistic about how they handle things. If we're talking to angel investors that are not able to uh, get the same kind of FaceTime and depth of research and things like that. You have to be careful as a angel investor, not to take too much of the entrepreneur's time because your dollar figure is probably smaller. And so 
I would have a conversation with entrepreneurs about how do you pick investors as well. Uh, so to the investor, the entrepreneur gets challenged with the kind of thing I'm going to say. Investors get away with a pass card on this more, which is, well, who are you and how do you deal with conflict? And what's your track record of disagreement and how you handle it? And uh, we want to do we sh- the the investor. I'm sorry, the entrepreneur should do due diligence on their investors also. Yeah. So, well, t- touching on that, what is what does the right investor look like then? The right investor, in my view, first of all, of course, that's a broad, broad uh, answer, but I'll give a few. You want someone who, again, who has emotional maturity because everything won't turn out the way you hoped it would as the entrepreneur. And they may be disappointed investors. And do you, uh, how do you handle that? And vice versa. And so you, if you look, I would look for, we try to do this with our major investors. Um, are these people that we want to deal with if we run into challenging times? Um, so I, I think that's more important in many, many ways than the long track record they may have with financial success. What you want to know in that case is talk to people that they were financially successful with, other entrepreneurs, and find out what it was like when things got tough and and how you know the, there's a human factor in which greed is very triggerable around the making of money <laughs> so you almost have to assume that everyone is susceptible to a bit of less beautiful performance <laughs> when it's my pocket versus your pocket. So who would you want to be in business with when you face that? How reasonable do you think they, how mature are they? How driven to win against you or be on the same side of the table with you? Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 um, it stems back to your, your comment about due diligence going both ways and the fact that a, a shareholder agreement is stronger legally binding than a marriage. So you've got to really know the other person, don't you? And it's often hard within a very short amount of time to realize that. That's right. And you're the entrepreneur and you've got your idea and you're poised and you see all the good signs in the marketplace and you just need some money. Uh, One piece of advice on that is, Start understanding where money is before you get there, of course, even before you go into business. These days, we've got an incubator system around the world and accelerators and all kinds of support for entrepreneurs because entrepreneurism seems to be the new global religion and uh, everybody wants to, do, or many, many people want to do it. And, uh, but there are uh, supportive environments that know how to bring in angel investors that have been vetted. Uh, or they have some track record with. And and then you've got senior advisors that can tell you about experiences they've had or look at an experience and help you navigate it and things like that. So there, there really are a lot of supports. It's wise to be a person who knows how to ask for help and receive help. That's another skill. It's not, everybody can't do it. 
um, depends a lot on our childhood, our, our, our lineage, you know, our, our family, all kinds of things, what we went through in high school. <laughs> um, and, and so the well-developed human being is a prized commodity in every um, line of life. Uh, wisdom, reasonableness, seasoned with seasonedness with challenges and and uh, uh, things not going the way that were they were expected to, and all of the, I would say, psychological and emotional makeup of a human is super important. Track record that's a list of uh, what I was involved in tells you a lot about what my expertise might be on the technical side, and you definitely want that, but you want to be careful um, if your gut tells you you're getting in business with you're going to regret getting in business with someone. Yeah. Cause it works out more painfully than you think about on the front end when you don't. <laughs> um, well, you've invested uh, in over a hundred businesses now. Um, and you, you touched on it with human skills and, and managing well. Do you think, or do you, do you think that entrepreneurs anticipate the personal sacrifice that running a business entails? No. No. And why not? Why, why do they not? Uh, there's no, there's, it's not easy to go get trained in this reality. I said the incubator system and things. But when you go through school, uh, you're lucky if you even get any kind of personal skill training. And you're certainly not going through your first 12 years learning much about business or running a company or managing people and things like that. So those skills tend to, there are people that are naturally good at a lot of that. There's natural leaders. There's no, there's all kinds, but you, it's maybe when you get to university and maybe when you get out on the street and you get experience watching others and, and working under them, then you, you start to learn a whole lot more about this particular uh, part of life and the world. And so but I, you've asked me a question about, so I, I haven't done over a hundred investments a lot. There are oh, very, many of, no, no, many of, I, I'm, you said the right thing. Many of them are tiny, tiny investments. So I have a strategy that I love being involved with entrepreneurs and creativity and watching things grow and all the positive other impacts and influences that can come from it. So I know that even the smallest check is a great booster supplement for the entrepreneur because they know that they're getting the possibility of another one. They know that they're getting some bit of my network and my uh, relationships. Yeah, well, that's the same thing. But the, but, but the history and the connections and all, all that kind of thing. So I think that it's really a beautiful act to have a dollar amount, if you're somebody that has wealth, to have a dollar amount under which you let go of conventional, super rigorous due diligence, and you use your instincts, and you put in some fun factor for yourself. You, you, there's something you can learn here. You like these people. Uh, you, you can share some of what you've gained over time that might be useful to them, and. <clears throat> That is a really good thing to do 
post a successful career. Uh, give back and give back to the kinds of things and people that, uh, you know, that helped you along the way or the circumstances and be that person. Um, we'll create a better world that way. If everything is all hard-nosed analysis of how am I going to get a higher rate of return than I could somewhere else, it's a different, it's a different game and it's a different relationship. So if you're an entrepreneur, you, you want to try to get a, a good mix uh, of your investors because they're your bosses. They're, there's going to be a board. They can fire you ultimately. So you're, you're picking your bosses to, a, to some degree. And then as an investor, decide how much is enough money, protect your core, experiment, have fun, do things that you think might matter, go for learning experiences. There are, though there are many, many people that are living on way too little money, like several billion of them, there are way too many people living on too much money, in my view. I don't think infinite accumulation of wealth is healthy for society, by the individual, is healthy for society or much of anything, really, even themselves and their families. When you try to pass on a couple billion dollars to your kids, it doesn't, that's, that's not an easy, I know it sounds good, but anyhow, I'm, I'm wandering a bit here, but I just want to say that to be an investor and make good choices about entrepreneurs entails also being a good human being and knowing how to make good choices in relationships. There are skill sets to gather, but I maintain that you can purchase skill sets. You can, you can contract skill sets. Your real, your real skill is your instinct, your, your way of being and how you deal with people. Yeah, no, no, I completely agree. And I think your point um, that using your wealth to invest and give back to the future, i.e. startups and what could be the future of, um, you know, protecting the world and having a better world is, is completely the right thing to do rather than just, you know, leaving it in a bank or spending it on frivolous things. No, I think that's a uh, huge hugely hugely um um the the right the societal right that we can make a lot of money um other systems question that um there's good reasons to question it yes it drives innovation and makes opportunity and and great lives for some people uh it worked better if those people were also going through advanced human beingness training along the way and we we really should think about accumulated wealth as a privilege not a right because we were so smart and we should use it to invest in the things we actually believe in and care about uh, and and if it works out that we're just so good that no matter what we do, we make more money, then, then there's charity and <laughs> you can do some of. And there are also uh, ways to use investment dollars that are less driven by maximum return. And there's a middle zone of social enterprise and all kinds of creative nonprofits that are doing things. You really, uh, I think it's, I like to talk about this topic because I think money has lost 
the moral compass and the understanding of of what it actually is and what its power is and what it means to be someone who controls a lot of money and how to do that well. Yeah, yeah. I think this is a good um, transition into us talking about your book, The Clean Money Revolution. Can you just give us, um, the, our audience, um, the reasons why you decided to write the book and, and what they'll find within it? I moved into my 60s. I am very aware that not only did I live through a kidney disease and happily ever after for now, uh, I, I outmaneuvered death for a little while, I guess. And I've had a really uh, great number of opportunities in my life, and I've lived during a period where uh, I've, I've been in a peaceful, you know, I haven't had war going on in countries, you know, where I live and and things like that. So I felt a sense of, of giving back as the purpose of life, uh, help support the future the best possible. And, uh, and I had a unique set of experiences at the beginning of this movement of looking at money and business as a holistic tool that should be making the world better. And so I wanted to share some of that because I think that it's, um, as histories evolve, uh, there, there's people that don't know the history or any of the history uh, or what the roots of these of this kind of thinking is. And so it seemed like a very uh, intellectually stimulating and good contribution that I could make. I've been a very, uh, a lot of my work has been going to conferences and being parts of networks and the learning environments and the relationship fields where I could learn, grow, and have a good time and yeah. have colleagues. And so the book is made up of three parts. The first are personal journey stories. And I needed those to get my life figured out. I had to read books that how did people, I told them, I think I mentioned to you, Jimmy Carter, and I have some other, some other uh, visionary, uh, unlikely characters that, that set big ambitious goals and pulled them off about, about things that matter. And uh, so I really want people to get exposed to the vulnerabilities and the, the journey that one goes through navigating this life, which is actually more and more complex of a journey. So I wanted, so that's the first part of the book. The second part is I've done my own non-academic uh, mapping of a, of a taxonomy of how I saw this field develop and this thinking. Here was the first thing I joined, and then I that one split off, and we focused on that, and then these four things grew out of that. And so it was a very, it's been a very ripe period this last 20, 30 years of shifting mindset about capitalism and uh, the tools and how they can be used. And I thought that it was helpful to give little snippets so people could see organizations they might want to participate in, look up information, things like that. There's a lot of interviews and stories about other people and companies and entrepreneur stories and things like that. And then the final part of the book goes up to the uh, moral and ethical necessity that we think about money, what it's doing, what money that we own, what it's doing right now to people and places. Money that comes to us, where did it come from? Did it do lots of damage and harm, or did it work to do less damage and harm? 
And then when it becomes ours and we put it places, are we clear about our responsibility and connection to that money? So when I go out and make investments, I hold myself accountable to having it meet standards that are the same standards I would employ as a human in personal relationships and family relationships. And I don't want to have my money representing me in a, in a poor way just because we weren't taught to think about that. So this is really the point of the book. There's a lot, a lot of money now, and it could be solving most all the problems we're facing as humanity. And it needs to, and every one of us that can do anything to help encourage that along, we can be friendly, we can use sugar, we can use salt, we can yell. Uh, we need to do it because the world has some really big challenges and there's plenty of money and there's lots of human ingenuity. So that's what the book is about. Oh, no, it's absolutely fascinating. And we'll, we'll include a link to it at the, the podcast notes. So you do have, you have invested in a lot of businesses um, and there's a really interesting topic and it's, it's about understanding and learning from failure. So I was wondering whether you could just tell, tell the audience, give us some stories, uh, why some companies, if companies names if they don't want to, but why they failed. Often and, and fail. What you and they from it. they face. The most, the most common thing has to do with money. So you've run out of money. You haven't made sure to have relationships in advance and uh, backup plans. And you've been excited about the expansion that's possible. And there's a difficult formula about expansion success. If you get orders for lots of products, you need capital to pr produce those orders. And particularly if you're in consumer products or something that requires uh, something to be built and created. Um, you have to keep a very close eye on the balance of uh, you can get too many orders and, and kill yourself. I mean, you kill the company because the financing to advance the materials and pay employees and you know happens at a different time than the money comes back in. So that's very common. Uh, management shortfalls and not being good at putting together a team, at hiring choices, at the culture of the company can lead to very unhealthy environments in which rather than everyone's pulling together and there's kind of a sense that you can share what you really think and uh, that, it, that it's an honest and, and uh, supportive environment where things can be questioned, um, the entrepreneur who is scared of that and insists on being the only person that's right um, and who doesn't listen well or understands people's needs very effectively and figure out how to generate them and how to have a corporate culture that is generative and causes people to want to stay um, can create a constant series of problems. Um, I'm really proud that we have a very... Uh, very high retention rate in our business. Uh, it matters a lot. Any any entrepreneur, any, anybody with experience knows <clears throat> knows what I'm talking about. That losing someone who's doing 
covering their job uh, is expensive. So uh, financial aspects, you didn't, you didn't, you haven't stayed out ahead of where you're going to raise the next money if you need to do it. And then you end up getting a really crummy deal and you get taken advantage of because you're desperate. Um, there are a lot of things in the financial part, a lot of things in the human part. Uh, then there's, I guess, the product itself. Um, adaptation, pivoting, understanding the market better as you get further into it, competitors come up, um, people offer a better deal, all of that kind of thing. You've got to be very nimble and, and savvy about assessing do you get battered around like a flag in the wind when new things happen or are you adaptive? Are you able, are you anticipatory and, and are you nimble enough and can you take the risk? Do you have, have the ability to take the risk that I'm going to have to shift my product now because the world's changing and I'm going to lose some customers doing that, but Maybe I'm going to gain a lot. So those are a few thoughts about failures. Uh, money, people, adapt, adaptability, culture. It's, 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 um, there's a, a lot to think about for an entrepreneur, um, but it's an important to know as an entrepreneur that businesses do fail and you need to um, close down that business in, in, I guess, the best possible way. What what does what does that look like to you? The boss, best possible closure because it does happen. So we know that everyone knows that. Well, uh, honesty, integrity, and decent human behavior is an easy way to start. Um, you have to have the ability to give disappointing news in a way that <clears throat> I believe it's important to take responsibility, and I believe it's important to overtake response, take more responsibility as the starting place. In other words, my job is not to blame everybody else. If I've got to shut something down, first blame is to me. First responsibility. I didn't do, I missed a few key things. I misjudged something. I'm very, very uh, disappointed that I have to lose your money or that I, I'm planning on starting another venture. I'm going to give you some founder stock next time or something. I want to try to make it up to you in some way. Even the, whether people accept that kind of thing or whether it happens, if I'm dealing with someone who, whatever their plans, it hasn't worked out, I first want to hear that they understand that they just take responsibility. Uh, that, that shifts the playing field a lot right there. And then sometimes for me, it's just like, that's good enough. It didn't work. It didn't work. That's fine. I mean, especially with these small investments, I don't, uh, you know, I'm not going to get worked up about that. My intention there is basically passing on some love. But if we're managing a, pro a, a, a we're managing a portfolio for a couple of hundred investors, then we want that to go as well as possible. And if the entrepreneur is cooperative, collaborative, and open to feedback at that point of how to exit in the best way, how to shut down a company in the best way, that's going to be far healthier and happier than they pull out their six guns and 
blame everybody else and take no responsibility and blame you. Yeah. So uh, there's different kinds of investors. There's different ways people have to, uh, the entrepreneur has to address it. But we, we, you know, when we've had to go through that, it's like, okay, what's happening to the employees? Are they being, being treated as fairly as possible under the circumstances? What about all the other obligations? Uh, how are you handling the investors? How are your communications? And if we're in this together, we know we can't win every time. Uh, we, we, our reputation is tied to your reputation also. And uh, let's do this in a mature and wise way. Yeah, no, no, I completely agree. And I think that's extremely insightful for any entrepreneur listening and investors and investors. So, Joel, let's just finally finish on the, um, the question, what does the future hold for yourself, for renewal funds? What's next? Renewal funds, <clears throat> sorry about that. Renewal funds is now, we're going to be very successful with the current fund that we're, we're completing shortly. We've exceeded our goals. We'll have a substantial amount of capital for our scale to deploy. And we have a really strong young team here. And I'm the old guy. My partner's a little, maybe 12 years younger. And, and, and anyhow, most of the team are pretty young. They're smart. They're motivated. They're motivated by values and purpose, as well as their, of course, success, their financial success. And we will see how that all translates as the elders here uh, are taking on less of the primary workload. So we have hopes that we've built a brand and a way of being and a track record that um, will be attractive to other people. Uh, we're in a city that doesn't have a whole lot of uh, these kinds of funds. We're not in the biggest cities. And uh, we're, we're very fortunate that uh, the interns we get and the staff that come here are thrilled to be here because of all of those reasons. So something good will happen. Even if it's to declare victory and wind it down someday, <laughs> we will have contributed to a shift some level. Maybe it's micro. Maybe it's more macro. Who knows? In changing the way people think about investing. And we'll have supported some great entrepreneurs and great companies and changed some people's lives through those businesses. For me personally, I'm in the era now where every next year that I am blessed to receive is an opportunity to pass on everything that I can pass on that's useful and to possibly say some things that others are not in position to say and to help awaken more awareness about what money is, where it comes from, what does it do before it gets to us, what does it do under our stewardship, and what does it do after it leaves us. Uh, that needs to be much more seriously understood, thought about, and prioritized because we are facing gigantic global crises of all kinds. And we have to be the ancestors responsible for what's coming after us. So I am going to 
continue learning how to be the best possible ancestor that I can and to uh, do it while I'm still here. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons I do a lot of podcasts and speaking and uh, sharing because I think it's my obligation to pass on the, incre- the, the rewards of and the insights from being incredibly blessed with a to grow up in a peaceful geography, to have affluence and be able to have access to all the great things that exist today, but also be a responsible citizen and uh, think about all the other people and circumstances like the ecology uh, of the natural world uh, and do my part to be an ever better steward and catalyst that more people will think that way. Uh, thank you for that. It's beneficial to us all and make sure that anyone listening to this or reading about this buys your book and continues to follow you. Joel, you, you're extremely passionate and you greatly enjoy creating a better world and giving back. And um, thank you very much for your stories and your insightful um, words in this podcast. So thank you for being on, on the Invested Investor. Thank you so much for a kind interview and uh, good luck with uh, all that you're attempting to do with this podcast. Brilliant. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another Invested Investor podcast. You can subscribe to all future podcasts via our website, investedinvestor.com, or via a number of online podcast platforms. And be sure to follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook to get the most up-to-date, interesting, and insightful content.